We're going to be going to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. If you want to turn there in a Bible you brought with you or the Pew Bible in front of you, or also in um, iPhones or smartphones, those are allowed. Uh, Go to the Bible Gateway app or the Olive Tree app or the Lagos app or whatever. We're going to be going to Galatians chapter 5, like I said, verses 16 to 26. But I want to set up the passage, so you have a couple minutes to turn there. And I want to start with a video clip, which somewhat encompasses uh, Galatians with the idea of walking with Jesus, walking with Christ. So I'm going to invite Ken to start that clip and at the same time dim these lights up front. Thank you, Ken, and thanks for Steve, uh, Steve for helping with the lights as well. The Bible teaches that the ways of the world are different than God's ways. We see that in Romans 12, 1 through 2, and in James 4, 4, it says, Friendship with the world makes us enemies with God, enmities with God. We are called to be countercultural, countercultural, but how do we do that? The answer is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We need to walk by the Holy Spirit. We don't do it alone. We walk with Jesus instead of walking with the world. In this short New Testament letter of Galatians, Paul has repeatedly emphasized that we are free in Christ. We are free in Christ. We are free to serve Christ. So now what do we do? As we will see in today's passage... Paul tells the people of Galatia, they're not free to sin, and neither are we. We're not free to sin. We are free to serve Christ. We are free to serve Christ, and we can only do that by walking with the Holy Spirit, by walking by the Holy Spirit. 
As most all of you know, we've been preaching through Galatians, and we're going to be wrapping it up in the next few weeks. Now we come to just an awesome passage about walking by the Holy Spirit instead of the ways of the world. In the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army. Abram Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. Even though no one knew he was coming, slaves recognized him immediately, and they thronged around him. Lincoln had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation, and now Lincoln's army had set them free. According to Admiral David Porter, an eyewitness, Lincoln spoke to the throng around him. He says, My poor friends, you are free. Free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. But Lincoln also warned them not to abuse their freedom. He said, let the world see that you merit your freedom. Don't let your joy carry you into excesses. Learn the laws and obey them. They were free to be good citizens in the United States. And that is very much like the message Jesus gives to those whom he has liberated by his death and resurrection. By Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, he has liberated us as well. He has redeemed us. He has bought us out of our slavery to sin, slavery to the flesh, slavery to the world. He has set us free. And Jesus gives us our true, birth, our true birthright, spiritual freedom. But that freedom isn't an excuse for disobedience. It forms a basis for learning and obeying God's laws. So today my theme is walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Hope you're there at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Let's read it. If you're there in your Bible, please stay there because we're going to walk through teaching the passage. I encourage you to still turn there. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And, when, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, verse 16. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please. So he's saying there's a war going on. There's a war going on between the Holy Spirit inside the Christians and between the flesh. And when Paul says the flesh, he's talking about our sin nature, there's this nature inside of us that makes us want to sin and makes us want to do the wrong things instead of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But Paul is saying, walk by the Spirit. I'm going to pick up at verse 18. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Some translations say obvious. And here they are, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, those are the, the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the sin nature. There's 15 of them. I don't know if you got tired as I was reading the list. I was. Then verse 22. But, in contrast to the deeds of the flesh... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. There's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. These are good things. 
Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, the first part here, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Let me talk about verses 16 through 24 here. I believe the theme of this whole passage is that we are free to walk by the Spirit. We are free to walk by the Spirit. We are free to live by Jesus. And we don't do it alone. Because once you commit to Jesus, the Bible teaches you have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who lives inside of us. We see the phrase, walk by the Spirit, twice in these nine verses. In verse 16 and verse 25, we see the phrase, walk by the Spirit. It's, it's, it's like walk by the Spirit bookends the passage. It bookends the passage, which shows that it's obviously very important. Walk by the Spirit. Aren't you glad he didn't say run? Run by the Spirit? Aren't you glad he didn't say jump or crawl? He said walk. It's natural to life. Walk by the Spirit. In verses 19 through 21, Paul lists 15 nouns. 15 nouns to describe the worldly way. Paul calls it the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh. The flesh is kind of a euphemistic term for the worldly way. And he lists 15 nouns. In verse 17, we see the flesh and the spirit are at war. So we must walk by the spirit. Some think that the answer is just to retreat from the world. Bury your head in the sand. But that's not the answer. The answer is to walk by the spirit. Someone uh, wrote this about a church father. They said, So long as we remain in this present life, we never outgrow or transcend the spiritual conflict Paul was describing in this passage. There's no spiritual technique or second blessing that can propel the believer onto a higher plane of Christian living where the battle must no longer be fought. In the early church, Jerome, that hardy and stern disciplinarian, removed himself far from the lurid temptations of the city, only to find that he had not escaped them at all. Jerome, this early church leader, actually left the city. He retreated the desert, thinking he won't have to deal with sin anymore. But listen to what he wrote. This is what he said. Oh, how often I imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert. In that solitary wasteland, which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks. I, who because of the fear of hell, had condemned myself to such a hell, and who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, often thought that I was dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body. And listen to this. And the fires of sex seethed, even though the flesh had already died in me as a man. He had retreated to the desert. He had retreated as a monk. He went and buried his head in the sand, so to speak, but he still was dealing with these temptations of the flesh. Didn't take care of it. The answer is to walk by the Spirit. Verse 18 says, If we are led by the Spirit... We are not under the law. Verses 19 through 21 list these deeds of the flesh, which he said are evident. The deeds of the flesh are obvious. I mean, come on. We all can just imagine what the deeds of the flesh are. We know what is bad. We know right from wrong. A child knows right from wrong. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. If I were to group these, 
these 15 nouns listed, I see several, actually nine, that are almost synonymous having to do with human relations. Nine deeds of the flesh having to do with human relations. Here they are. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, outbursts of anger. I think of rage. It's not just anger. It's an outburst of anger. It's rage. Jealousy, strife, enmities. Those are nine nouns in the Greek dealing with human relations. And we're not called to walk that way. We're called to walk by the Holy Spirit. We're called to walk in love. Some of us might still struggle with some of those or all of them, and we need to repent of them and walk by the Spirit. Then we have two dealing with spiritualism, sorcery and idolatry. Some translations don't say sorcery. They say witchcraft and idolatry. Then we have four dealing with impure nature, mostly sexual, immorality, sensuality, impurity, carousing. And we have one dealing with excess, which is drunkenness. Drunkenness. People have grouped these different ways. That's just a way that I saw. And I don't want to talk about each of these because I believe the, each sin listed or each behavior pattern listed is not the point. The point is that we're not to walk that way. We're to walk by the Holy Spirit. This is not an exhaustive list. If you look at it, at the end of this list of 15 nouns, Paul says, and things like these, and things like these. Paul is just casually listing a catalog of sins. But I do want to notice a few. I want to point out a few of these to you. In verse 19, Paul begins the list with what the New American Standard Bible translates as immorality. Immorality. This is literally sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. It is the Greek word perneia. About this term, one source shares the following. It says the, the, the word pornea originally meant prostitution. That's the word Paul is using here. It's the word that originally meant prostitution. It's the Greek porne, which means prostitute, from the verb pernemi, which means to sell slaves, since prostitutes were frequently bought and sold on the slave market. Although by the time of Paul, it had gained the more general meaning of sexual immorality or irregularity. Pornea is invariably translated fornication in the KJV, although it denotes any unlawful sexual intercourse, including adultery and incest. Acts of sexual immorality, although often done in the name of love, are really the antithesis of love, which is the foremost fruit of the Spirit. So he begins this list talk using a term that related to sexual immorality. And although they're done in the name of love, they're the antithesis of love, which is the foremost fruit of the Spirit. Another in Paul's list is translated as sorcery or witchcraft. And I want to read a little bit more about that because there's a lot behind that word. Remember, we're translating the Bible from the Greek to the English and sometimes with some Latin in there as well. Uh, witchcraft or sorcery is the Greek word pharmakeia. At the root of this word is pharmakon, literally drug. Is there, you'd stop right there. Isn't it interesting that the word translated as sorcery or witchcraft is the word where we get the word pharmacy? Pharmacy. I'm not saying all pharmacists are practicing witchcraft. <laughs> Keep listening. In classical Greek, pharmakeia referred to the use of drugs, whether for medicinal or more sinister purposes. 
For example, poisoning. They would use drugs for poisoning. In the New Testament, however, it is invariably associated with the occult. Both here and in Galatians, here in Galatians and Revelation, where it occurs twice, we see this word dealing with the occult. So the word pharmakeia dealt with the occult, dealt with sorcery, dealt with witchcraft. <clears throat> these, words were correctly, would, these words correctly convey the idea of black magic and demonic control, but they missed the more basic meaning of drug use. In the New Testament times, pharmakeia, in fact, denoted the use of drugs with occult properties for a variety of purposes. This word translated as witchcraft or sorcery dealt with the use of drugs for witchcraft and sorcery. Dealt with using drugs for occult practices. Including and especially abortion. As J.T. Newman has written, Paul's usage here cannot be restricted to abortion, but the term he chose is comprehensive enough to include the use of abortifacient drugs. In the early church, both infanticide often... often um, affected through the exposure of newborn babies to the harsh elements and abortion, commonly brought about by the use of drugs, were regarded as murderous acts. Both are fragrant violations of Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's very common in that day to use abortifacient drugs and even use them as part of the occult, part of sorcery, part of witchcraft to kill children, to kill people, to kill babies. Most of the sins in this list describe gross excess, but we are supposed to walk by the Spirit. So let's move on to talk about walk by the Spirit. Verses 22 through 23 are about the fruit of the Spirit. I preached on the fruit of the Spirit before, even here, so I'm not going to walk through each part. But I do want to point out a few things. First, notice that it is one fruit with many modifiers. One fruit is fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. One fruit with many modifiers. It is the deeds of the flesh, plural, but fruit of the Spirit, singular. Some would say it's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, which is defined as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, as defined by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As Christians, these are things we should pursue. In verses 24 through 26, we are to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. This is a story that has been told from Civil War days before America's slaves were freed about a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the slave girl and told her, you're free. He had just purchased this slave girl. He had just bought this slave girl. And now he says, you're free. You are free. With amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to, and to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yep. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You are free to go wherever you like. She looked at him intently and replied, then I will go with you. Then I will go with you. She was free, so she decided to use her freedom to serve. We are free in Christ. And that's exactly what theologically happened. Jesus bought us out. He redeemed us. To redeem means to buy back. Jesus' blood bought us out of our sin nature. It paid the price to, to take care of, to atone for our sins. And he gave us freedom. And we're free to serve him. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh in its sinful desires, verse 24 shows. 
Get rid of the fleshly desires. Put them to death. Jesus died for those fleshly, those sinful desires. Why do we go back to them? Instead, walk by the Spirit. Paul closes this section with an exhortation. He says, get rid of boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Seems like there were some divisions going on within the church at Galatia. And Paul is saying, get rid of those. Get rid of that divisiveness. Walk by the Spirit. Let's talk about some applications. We must walk by the Spirit. That's the obvious application repeated twice here. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. We must surrender to the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. The desires of the flesh, the things we do that are sinful, are against the Spirit. They are in contrast. They're at war. And I don't know that we think about that. We trivialize our sin. But our sin is against a holy, righteous God. The desires of the flesh are numerous, and we must stay away from them. Verses 19 through 21. Sexual immorality is a desire of the sin nature. We must beware of that. Verse 19. We must guard against sexual sins. We must guard against sins against humanity. We must guard against sins of idolatry, including spiritualism, as well as sins of excess. Verses 19 through 21. We must allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our life and produce this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can all, on an individual level, apply that to our life. And I would encourage you to go home and think, how are you doing with gentleness? How are you doing with gentleness? Are you contrasting instead of gentleness, just having rage and anger? Be sure you will get into great trouble because of that. How are you doing with self-control? It takes self-control to be gentle, doesn't it? Remember that if we're raising our children or even grandchildren in anger and rage with a lack of self-control, get ready, they'll have the same problem. It will go right on down the line, and it comes right from you. How are you doing with these fruit of the Spirit? We must let the fruit of the Spirit push out the fruit of the world. How do you get rid of the darkness? Bring light in. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to bring light in, to let the Holy Spirit reign in our life and push out the desires of the flesh. We must have love for all. Have love for all. We must have joy even in difficulty. We must be patient even in trials. We must be kind. We must be gentle. We must be submissive to the word and to others. We must have peace. We must have goodness. We must be faithful to God and to others. We must crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what verse 24 says. We must walk by the Spirit, as is repeated again in verse 25. We must not be boastful, challenging others and envious, verse 26. This is a tall order. And we can do it by walking with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen when you're not seeking Him. Many of us want all these fruit of the Spirit. We like these. We think they're good. But we don't want to walk with the Spirit. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time in the Scriptures. We hardly ever spend time with the church. And if we do, it's just Sunday morning worship. Forget Sunday school, Wednesday night, and all this other stuff. We're not involved in the community of Christians. We're not really loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, as the Bible calls us to be. In family life and in church life, there's always a huge gap between the ideal and the real. Here's an example of that gap written by someone else, not me. He writes, for example, every autumn my family likes to go apple picking. Here's the ideal day of apple picking. This is the ideal. The leaves are golden and rusty. The sky is beautiful and it's 75 degrees. We all pile into the van and start singing and laughing as we merrily drive to the orchard. We arrive early in the morning with plenty of time to enjoy the orchard. Surprisingly, the folks at the apple orchard say, today, 
Apples are free for families. So our kids guzzle apple cider and stuff themselves with apple donuts. And they don't even get a sugar high. Finally, after a perfect day at the orchard, we drive home. As our children keep saying, wow, thanks mom and dad. That's the ideal. But the real day often looks like this. It's a disaster from the start. We leave at least two hours late. The apple orchard closes at 5 p.m. We're leaving at 3 p.m. and it takes an hour and a half to get there. <laughs> but I bark at everyone. We're going, so get in the car. We missed lunch because we were scrambling to get everything done. With blood sugar levels plummeting, my wife and I start arguing. I think it's her fault that we're leaving late. She says it's my fault. We keep arguing until the, until the kids interrupt because now they're arguing with each other. I turn around and snap at the kids. Knock it off! I'm arguing with your mother. When we pull into the apple orchard, we only have 30 minutes before closing time. So we tell the kids, hurry up so you can have some fun. By this time of the day, all the good apples are gone and nothing is free. The entrance free was outrageous. The entrance fee was outrageous because they know they can rip off suburban families who are trying to pretend they're in the country for the day. When we get the kids back in the van, it's already dark. On the way home, we finally get our apples. We stop at McDonald's for some apple turnovers. <laughs> Unfortunately, family life and church life aren't always ideal. And that's why we have to practice love, acceptance, and forgiveness in the midst of real community among real fellow sinners. We practice love, acceptance, forgiveness. We walk by the Spirit. So the question for you before we close is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. God created us to be in a relationship with him. But we see in Genesis 3 that our sins, they separate us from God. And we sin, it's, it's not as trivial as we think it is. We think it's trivial because we're comparing ourselves with our next door neighbor. Our sins separate us from a holy God. We see that sins cannot be removed by good works. We see that in Genesis 4 through Malachi 4 in the Old Testament. Our good works don't take care of our sin. We still have that sin to deal with. So paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in Matthew through Luke. Jesus died on the cross in your place and my place. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see that in the rest of the New Testament, John through Jude. Life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever, Revelation 22.5. The Bible uses four verbs, four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They are confess, believe, trust, commit. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We must confess we are a sinner in need of a Savior. We must repent. We must believe in Jesus as the only Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Believe John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Believe John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Confess, believe. We must trust in Jesus and commit to him. How are you dealing with the sin in your life? I think that all of us would recognize and understand 
We have all sinned. We've all done something wrong. None of us here walks on water. None of us is perfect. None of us is sinless. So if we believe, as the Bible teaches, that God is holy, righteous, perfectly pure, and we are sinners, something has to happen there. There's a barrier. The Bible teaches there's a barrier, a grand canyon, a gulf between us and God because of our sin. How are you dealing with that? The biblical worldview would teach that Jesus dealt with it for us. When he went to the cross, imagine yourself, yourself at the foot of the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross. Your sins go from you to him. But you do have to believe in him. You have to trust in him. You have to commit to him. You have to repent. Jesus gives us a free gift of forgiveness, but he does call for us to commit. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, anyone can come after me. So open anyone. But he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross, and follow. Are you a follower of Jesus today? The Bible would teach that today is a day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. I'm going to give a closing prayer. I'm going to start with a general prayer. Just general. And then I'm going to give an opportunity for you to commit to Christ today. I believe that the Holy Spirit is challenging some of you to commit your life to Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you that you've never committed to Christ. And today is a day of salvation. I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you that you've committed to Christ a while back, but you haven't been lived for him. I think the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you to turn from those ways and walk by the Spirit. And the first step in walking by the Spirit is turning your life over to Jesus. I'm going to give an opportunity for you to say a prayer committing your life to Christ. You're not saved by the prayer. It's not a magical thing. You're saved by what's in your heart. So if you don't repeat the prayer just like I say it, it's okay. It's just telling God what you're doing. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you right now looking at this passage. and Lord, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that we don't live the Christian life on our own. We live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. The Holy Spirit who baptizes us. The Holy Spirit who guides us, who teaches us, who convicts us. Oh Lord, help us walking by the Spirit. Help us. And Lord God, if there's some here today, as I believe for sure there are, who have never surrendered and given their life over to you. May today be the day of salvation. And may they respond in a simple prayer like this. If you would like to turn your life over to Jesus, tell him that in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned. I have done wrong things. I'm repenting of them right now. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you and trusting in you. Help me to live for you. Help us all to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've said that prayer, please share it with someone today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents because God desires a relationship with all of you, with all of us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. If you have questions about God and the spiritual life, even if you reject the gospel, I would love to talk to you. Seek me out. I would love to talk. I'm going to turn it over to Steve for the closing hymn.